The Pacers are in action tonight at Gamebridge Fieldhouse, taking on the Houston Rockets. One of my favorite trivia questions, which I've said on this show many, many a time, and I'm going to put Scott Agnes on the hot seat right now. Scott Agnes, are you ready for a trivia question that I'm not trying to set you up for looking uh, out of the <laughs> okay. loop? But you're either this is one of those things you either are going to know it, or you're going to be like, I never knew that. Unless you listen to this show, because we educate and entertain on this program, Scott, right? And I've, I've mentioned this under the entertainment category, or excuse me, the education category, never the entertainment. Uh, so I will allow either of the th- any of the three of you to chime in with this answer. We'll do this in Alex Trebek variation. You ready? It is the Let's reason that Houston's basketball franchise is known as the Rockets. Uh, yell your name if you know the answer, uh, any of the three of you if you'd like to guess. It is the reason that Houston's NBA franchise is known as the Rockets. Crickets here? NASA. I have no idea. I, I mean, would've... yeah, that's the obvious answer, right, Jimmy? Yeah, I mean, be... I, I just thought I would say something for the sake of the group. But yes. sorry, I'm sorry, you didn't say your name first. I need to ask him the form of a question. Out. What? Who? Scott, what is a what is NASA? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Ooh, Scott, that is incorrect. The correct answer is that they were originally the San Diego Rockets, and the owner of the franchise had his money invested in a company that made warheads for rockets thus why they were the san diego rockets and after one year they moved to houston which just happens to be the headquarters of nasa and the most appropriate (laughs) franchise move of all time right there you go absolutely and we all know given the fact that you asked that it was not going to be the most obvious that is correct very good point okay now scott agnes my second question for you are you ready Bring it. This is not in the form of a question, but rather true-false, okay? Uh, Every year on St. Patrick's Day, which this year, by the way, falls on a Sunday, please plan accordingly. Uh, Every year on St. Patrick's Day, Shannon and I go to the same bar on the north side and have a beer to celebrate St. Patrick's Day. When we are doing that this year, Buddy Heald will or will not be an Indiana Pacer? That's not a true and a false question, is it? I'm sorry. Buddy Heald will be an Indiana Pacer. True or false? Thank you. Uh, I will say true um, because right now it's going to take a willing partner. It's not as if the Pacers are actively shopping him. But I think we're getting to the point here where the writing is all on the wall about his his current status and the future. And coming off Jake, a game where he played a season-low minutes, where he's no longer a starter, where he's coming off the bench. He has not been able to produce. I think he's had three points uh, in each uh, game for four of the last eight. That's not the guy they they know they wanted and that they're paying $20 million a year for. So um, if you had to, like you did ask me, I think it's trending towards no, but that would be the most likely candidate, obviously, that um, something would transpire here over the next 48 hours. Scott, is there anything to be said that perhaps his struggles are more indicative of, A, the absence of Tyrese Halliburton and what's being asked of Buddy and subsequently the rest of the lineup during the absence or during the absence combined with the minutes restriction tease that's been going on the last couple of games? That combined with the fact that a veteran player, this could be just a slump. Once you get to the All-Star break, maybe everything is back to normal for him in the second half of the season. Do you get that sense? When you look at him, or do you think this is a larger, perhaps, decline happening with Buddy Heald? 
No, I definitely don't think it's the latter at all. I wouldn't even call it a slump. I, I think, too, what you were getting at, it's a multitude of reasons here, starting with a decreased in role and a very different role. He's playing less minutes, so you're going to produce less. He's also playing alongside Tyrese much less. And we've seen over uh, Tyrese's career now in year four together that Buddy's most productive with those two on the court. And I think one thing um, probably many of the Pacers would like is kind of just a clarification of roles and where they're at and what's being asked of them because we've seen things in flux right now. It feels right now a little bit as if they're um, it's kind of like November where they're trying to establish – uh, what they're doing in the past in terms of playing time and all of that. And what I mean by that, too, is, right, you have Tyrese starting, then you don't, then you have him back in the starting lineup. Shepard was playing a lot. Then T.J. McConnell's back into the fold. I think so much of that, and, and Buddy, like myself, is such a man of routine, and I think you threw him off his routine a little bit, and that's, that combined with a decrease in minutes are the two biggest contributing factors. I really don't view it as a slump, though. Here's what I've wondered, Scott. I think that we oftentimes, myself included, we get caught up in vacuums. We we forget about totality. We look at like four or five games in a vacuum and we go, that's who this player is right now. You know, Jeremy Lin made a ton of money off vacuum, right? Um, has Buddy Heald's trade value decreased because of the decrease in production from him? Or do teams look at it in totality and still say, might be in a slump now, but still elite level, quick-triggered shooter? Yeah, I think it's the latter in this instance, Jake. And the reality is, too, you got to consider the big picture here. Is one, he's owed $20 million, so to take a to make a trade work, you got to be able and willing to send out uh, something that would be able to match that right now. And right now, teams around the league have kind of been reluctant to make trades. And I, I think you're seeing that. Uh, in large part, one, due to the play-in tournament. So many teams are kind of still right there, like Golden State, who will be here on Thursday, is just one game out. They're in 12th. They're one game out of 10th, which would put them in the play-in tournament. And with the Warriors, who knows? If they win five in a row, they might be up to six. And so that slowed kind of the, the trade market, I believe. And then also with Buddy, he's in a contract year, meaning um, if you trade for him, you, you want to know that – Kind to a lesser extent than Pascal, obviously. But you want to know what it would take to kind of re-sign him. I don't see anyone out there that just kind of wants to rent him for the rest of the year. And in large part, that's also, Jake, because the new collective bargaining agreement is something that all these teams are trying to figure out. Only three teams are, or excuse me, 13 teams are under the luxury tax threshold. And um, to try to simplify it a little bit, when you're over the luxury tax threshold, you're playing a multiplier of a penalty and money. And on top of that, there's a secondary tier. And so those, those teams that are really chasing it um, are being ultra careful, I think, about how much they spend and where they spend it. And, then large, and, and because of all that, that's why we haven't seen much of a trade market develop uh, this week. Scott Agnes is our guest, covers the Pacers for Fieldhouse Files. Scott, a lot of times fans get so caught up in the countdown to the trade deadline and the anxiety mm-hmm. and, and the FOMO even of the modern fan of, oh, it's the deadline and my team's not doing anything. Well, they're going in the wrong direction. What's happening? But in reality, if the Pacers do stand pat, which that's kind of where I think things are trending, they've already made their move. They just happened to do it two weeks before the timer hit zero. When you look at it, is that the way that you see it from both a Pacers fan and a front office standpoint is, hey, we, we made our big splash 
and we're no longer buying, but if somebody gives us a call that we can't refuse, then maybe we act on it. Yeah, I would absolutely agree with that, Jimmy. The Pacers got ahead of it um, and got a guy that they've been after for, I don't know, more than 10 months probably in Pascal Siakam. So that was a huge win in its own right. So if they sit pat, I wouldn't be surprised. And on top of that, uh, I couldn't criticize where, where they're at right now because they got their guy. You try to get into the summer and then re- um, try to refigure out uh, kind of the path that you're headed to next because obviously bringing him on elevates you to another level to the point where now playoffs aren't just good. They are the expectation. And more than anything, you, you expect for Pascal to put you into the top six conversation and out in the, out, out away from the play in tournament. Now, there's two ways in which I could see the Pacers get involved here. One, it's, it's if someone comes calling and there's a reasonable deal, like we t- discussed with, with Buddy Heal, for example, just because it just doesn't seem like that relationship will continue beyond June. Once his, that contract comes to an end, he, uh, they had brief talks in the fall about trying to find something, um, some common ground on a contract extension. They were far apart. Things never got serious. Uh, Buddy's at the point in his career where he wants to get paid, but he also uh, wants to win and he wants to play. He's not at the point where he's 36 and willing to accept a role where he's playing 15 minutes a night and off the bench and on a lo- or even on a losing team as a mentor. He's not there. He's ready to play and win now and all those things. And his best attribute beyond shooting is also his availability. He does not miss games. He loves the game. So um, the, the Pacers could do something like that. And then the other thing I could see them get involved with Although, uh, again, it would take a, a suitor here that would be willing to offload kind of a prime asset is if you're, if you're able to go back to what I talked about this offseason, really needing to c- consolidate roster spots. So right now you've got a few excess power forwards. You have a few excess guards. If you could consolidate those into a uh, you know, six-man, let's say, a key player off the bench, uh, rather than having you know, three – potential bench guys that would be something that would intrigue me as well if I'm the Pacers but right now after the Pascal move everything they do now moving forward Jimmy has to be with Pascal's future contract in mind because Tyrese Halliburton's max extension kicks in this summer and assuming things work out with the Pacers and Pascal and I have no reason to believe they won't that's probably another max deal that the Pacers will be on the hook for so that's where Ted Wu the the vice president of cap basically for the Pacers really has to um get his money's worth and try to maximize what he can do with this roster. Yeah, I mean, the reality in terms of Pascal Siakam would be this, Scott, and that, and you know this, but I'm just saying this for, for listeners' sake. There was no assurance by all account that Pascal Siakam was a lock, stock, and barrel re-sign when they acquired him, but they would not have acquired him if there was an assurance that that was not a possibility. You get what I'm saying yeah, there? No, you're exactly. Like, yeah, you're exactly if his right. agent had said, "Look, there's Pascal hates Indianapolis. He's not going to live there." They would not have made that move. But um, I'm in agreement with you. That seems it certainly all all signs indicate that he is going to be a Pacer beyond this year. I mean, I, that seems almost indisputable at this point. Now, the the question then becomes: Is that enough? You know. I think a lot of people look at it, Scott, and say Halliburton Siakam. You know, there's oh, is everything okay there? Are you at a basketball game? Are you at practice? Was there a buzzer going off? Is there a fire alarm? What's going on there? Yeah, I'm at Gamebridge Fieldhouse for the Mad Ants G League game. First game of a doubleheader today. Um, and, so I'm in the bowels of Gamebridge Fieldhouse right okay, now. Okay, just out just out of curiosity, uh, that game began at what time? 
1230. 1230. So it's 43 minutes into the game. Can you go out and give us a score update by chance, or would you lose con- connection if you do that? Is there an uh, illegality there? No, I'll go out and give that to you. No we have problem. the breaking news sounder, Eddie. We can do breaking news for this, Scott. When you have the score, let us know, and we'll do the breaking news sounder and get people updated on what's going on here. I'm ready. Okay. Here. This just in from Scott Agnes. Matt Ant's playing at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. Scott, do you have a score report for us? I do, Jake. 320 left here at Gamebridge Fieldhouse in the first half. Blue Coats leading the Matt Ants 51-36 with Jarris Walker playing but currently on the bench. Uh, I'm sorry, you said they're trailing glucose. Is that right? <laughs> the Blue Coats. The, the Delaware Blue Coats. The Blue Coats. Okay. I, I, thought, maybe di- team of the I thought maybe we were talking diabetes because glucose was getting the better of it. Okay. Uh, okay. The, so what I was going to ask you is this. If you are – and you can retreat back to your bowels for better service. If you were looking at a third fiddle, essentially, moving forward for Siakam and Tyrese Halliburton, do we see enough, Scott, in terms of the progression – to think that guy possibly is on the roster and his name is Aaron Neesmith. Mm, that's really interesting because I, that was not the guy that I thought you were going with. I thought you were going with Kevin Bowen's MVP, which is Benedict Matherin. Well, that's obviously – we'll get to Matherin in a second. Sure. In, in terms of Neesmith, do I think he can become, let's say, that third star that you really kind of need to make a – uh, a real push and be a contender? Probably not. I kind of see him as that outside guy because I, I look at your that third guy or or even second for that matter, and a guy it's a guy that kind of can take over games and really make one giant impact. Or if one of the stars is out, he can help hold their own or go off for fifty. I don't see that type of ceiling for Aaron, but man, he is he is continuing to raise his floor to the point where he's become indispensable in terms of. The intangibles, the dirty work, his rebounding has really improved, his shot-making and three-point percentage. Um, so while I, I continue to value him more within the team, I don't see him as a third star. Because here's my thing with Matherin. And this, Scott, I want you to, to tell me if this makes sense. I'm getting worried. I think Matherin's a wonderful player, and I think he – he has an unbelievable drive about him. I think he's competitive as hell. Um, but of all the players on that roster, the only one that at times I have seen half-court sets where they get vapor-locked when the ball is in their hands and everything kind of stalls is Benedict Matherin. And I think he's working through that. I think they're aware of it and he's working through it. But I wonder if, in order to be a great player, it means that he's a great player who isn't necessarily playing well with others, for lack of a better phrase. Is that too harsh? No, I don't think so. I just try – when I think Matherin, I I think he's being asked to do so many different drastic things than he was used to that right now it's it's really – you're seeing him be a perfect example of while you do understand while they came out of college early – how much beneficial it would have been for him to stay in school and be polished more so uh, in, in so many areas like a Trace Action Davis, for example, where he benefited from that. But no one could, could uh, dis- disagree with his decision to come out, but he comes here and he's used to playing one-on-one ball, putting his head down, attacking the basket, getting to the foul line, and that's his primary game. He's, his three-point shot is just okay. His defense, he's never really been asked to guard too much. And so that's among the biggest things that – 
Rick Carlisle, Jenny Busick, and all those uh, Pacers assistant coaches have worked very closely with. And sometimes, Jake, I think you see him thinking too much to where he's like, all right, I got to check this box to make them happy. I got to do this. And if I don't overthink that, then I'm going to feel the effects of this and practice rather than just playing. And I think that's typical, to be clear, of a young guy. But I do want to see more continued progress from him because he hasn't um, had that that giant growth that you so often see from a player from year one to year two. And some of that, I feel like, goes back to what you highlighted there, Scott. He's only 21 years old, and oftentimes for players, yes, there's a jump between year one and year two. And like you outlined it, because he's being asked to do so much, maybe it hasn't been as drastic. I think he has improved in some areas. But it's really that third year for me with him of where does he really take off? Is this a jumping off point for him moving forward? You mentioned when you look at the situation from a cap structure standpoint, where the books are going to be next year. In terms of where the books will be this offseason versus where they are at from losing a player for nothing and making a trade potentially at the deadline where does Obi Toppin factor into that being a restricted free agent? Because he's a guy, as things stand, that it would not surprise me if he's in a different home because someone pays him money the Pacers aren't willing to match. Is he another guy that is viewed in these final two days as, well, you got to make a decision if you're going to ride it out with him and risk him walking for nothing, or if maybe he's a piece that someone would call upon now to have the bird rights and have the restricted free agent aspect of him next offseason? Right, that would be the that would be the biggest reason that a team would come calling to the Pacers because they would own his bird rights. Therefore, as you alluded to, the team like the Pacers right now would be able to match whatever offer is out there. I'm just curious how high that might go, um, or or how low it might go. For example, right. because, and why I bring that up too is because in the fall we saw a lot of players in the draft class, including Tyrese, before even the deadline, agree to contract extensions. And nothing really got there with Obi. The sense I got was there really wasn't much discussion. Obi was kind of curious to let the season play out, not not be locked into this new home before even playing a game for the Pacers. And and maybe he could next to Tyrese Halliburton. He saw what Miles Turner did having a career year last year, and then getting paid. He was curious what that would look like. And so he's getting to free agency here um, to when then he can most likely choose his destination um, if the price is high enough, because you're right with the Pacers current situation, there will be a number where the Pacers cannot go any higher. You know, right now it's his last deal of his rookie contract, which is relatively affordable. Um, Right now, I don't think there will be any kind of movement there, but after buddy, that's a good point, Jimmy, he would be the next guy that you could consider moving on from. The thing is, with Rick Carlisle, too, you want to decide, you know, what is your what is your wing or what is your power forward position look like? Knowing Pascal's no guarantee, but let's assume that he's back next year. Who's your backup for? Well, could be Jarris, but I, I don't think he's quite ready for that just yet. He's not getting real minutes here. You could do Neesmith, but if we if you we see him more at the three, which I think he's better suited for, um, you, you want to have that backup four. So right now, I think it's more likely heading that way. Scott, if I'm not mistaken, I'm going off memory here. Um, I think one time we had a discussion about cereal. You're a cinnamon toast crunch guy. Am I right in that, or am I totally off base? You are right, though. I very rarely have it anymore. But that that and <laughs> Lucky Charms are my go-to if I ever do have it. Really? So, so are you an all-day cereal eater or just breakfast cereal eater? Because I think cereal's uh, underrated for a lunch. What do you think? <laughs> 
Uh, it wouldn't be my top choice. I'm, the only time I really grab at the cereal, Jake, is if I'm on, on the road and it's right there in the lobby as I'm out, headed out the door. And you little hotel breakfast? The car. <laughs> little hotel <laughs> breakfast bar, grab the hey, cereal have box? You ever, Scott, confess to this, okay? Have you ever eaten a continental breakfast or the little layout breakfast in a hotel that you were not staying in? Did you ever pose as a guest in said hotel, grab a USA Today, go in and sit down and eat breakfast? Have you? No, I have not. Have uh, you? Derek Schultz. Derek Schultz admits to this crime on a regular basis. I have not. However, okay, how about this? Did you ever in college commit buffet crimes where you go to like – you know, one of the big buffet places, one guy buys a plate and then you kind of pass it around, take turns and keep going up. Yes or no? No, no, I didn't. Okay. I never I even, even thought to do that. That, that. That, that. That's ingenious. I would never even think about that. I mean, desperate times, desperate I measures know, in college, yeah. right? There was a there was a place in Bloomington that that we might have committed some buffet crimes. I don't. I mean, statute of limitations is up, right? Um, all right. Last thing, Scott. Jarris Walker. Sure. Look. I talked to, to in talking to the Pacers. I know that they will say that they are still very high on him, and they they absolutely think he can play. It's just a log jam at position, and that Ben Shepard, his fellow rookie, is getting minutes, and he is not because of necessity at position based on injuries. Do you think that that is lock, stock, and barrel the truth, or do you think that at this point he is showing less than what they were hoping for? Actually, I kind of agree. I agree with both of them in that Ben was more ready-made. Um, he could step in right away if needed, and he has been called upon more so because of Tyrese's injury, T.J. McConnell's illness, and, and Bruce Brown being moved opened up an opportunity. And that said, I remember a conversation I had with Rick at the beginning of the season at training camp when I, I set him up in terms of the question, hey, are, do you plan to treat Jarris much like Ben where he very much needs to earn it and all that? And he goes, wait, hold on. Jairus is a very totally different situation. And how I read into that was, hey, look, he's not even close to being ready. Um, so, But do you we're, think we're they thought he would be close to being ready at this point? Or do you think from the get-go they were aware of the timeline that they're currently on? I think that he, they expected him to be contributing more, but I did not expect, or nor is my understanding today, expect him to jump right in and, and – be you know that that starting power forward at all that's why when they acquired Obi, you knew Obi was going to be in the starting lineup right away I did expect Jairus to get more reliable minutes as a backup four for example rather than going other directions um so I, I the biggest thing with Jairus Jake has just been his defense and um how much he gambles and having to learn different things I talked with him about it a couple weeks ago he said yeah this is totally different than what we were doing in Houston where they gambled a ton and they were physically and almost always better than the opposing team. And um, he was just risk of he, he he was willing to take all those risks. And now he's having to learn to play more in a system and, and try to gamble less. And so we're seeing here in the G League where, it, where we see a lot of pros. His three point shot looks much better. That's one of the highlights I would say. Um, his ball handling as well. When I was out there for the first quarter here today, Jake, he was bringing the point guard. He was bringing it up most of the time, which I thought was interesting. But defensively, I would say that's not quite where they would like to see it just yet, this part of the season. By the way, Fieldhouse Files, where you can read all of Scott's reports about the Pacers. It is also part of Substack, so there are different ways that you can subscribe to be able to read a number of different people. Also, that includes his coverage of the G League team, the Mad Ants. What are they changing that from Mad Ants? Or are they sticking with that since they've moved from Fort Wayne? 
No, it'll be changing. They'll be down here, Jake, for one more year at the Fieldhouse while they build up that Noblesville Event Center. Um, but in the contract, the stipulation will is that it'll be the Noblesville something. Okay, so, I have um, on the other side, and wait for it, Scott, and I know that you're going to immediately be downloading the app to listen to our answer. We on the program, Query and Company, we have consulted with our own marketing division of Query and Company, and we have come up with the perfect name for the G League team, the perfect name for the G League team. And if it, and I'm telling you right now, I'm going to use all influence that I have with the Pacers, which is none, and try to push this through. So, can I make one guess? Sure. Now it would be it is so unlike Jake because again, this is the most obvious. But I think you're a man of tradition, like Indy 500, and so the obvious thing I think would be the Noblesville Millers. Okay. The other one would be something related to Slick Leonard. Because you cannot honor him or Nancy enough here. But I'll, okay. I'll have to listen back up. To when I was a have. kid, Noblesville High School, of course, they're the Millers. They used to have bumper stickers everywhere that said, follow the Millers. And I always thought that I was like, man, every person up here's last name is Miller. It's unbelievable. <laughs> everywhere we go. Uh, all right. I'll, I'll, I'll answer it on the other side. Scott, we appreciate it, man. All right. Thanks, guys. Stephen Holder joins us now on the program. Of course, you read his work at ESPN.com. And he was at the Pro Bowl. We talked about that. Uh, he's been a busy guy in covering the NFL and now, of course, the Super Bowl. Uh, Steven, I'll begin with this. The Pro Bowl itself, I know that, you know, I heard you talking to John about this. You, you irritated Stephon Diggs. But in terms of uh, the Colts, any storylines that came about or that raised your eyebrow in relation to the Indianapolis Colts uh, that happened or that you were able to obtain through being around the Pro Bowl? I wouldn't say anything extraordinary. Um, well, a couple things, though. Um, I did talk to Quentin Nelson a bit, and one thing he he shared is that, you know, he, he and, and DeForest Buckner, too, actually, so the both of them, the, the one thing they had in common is that they, they both physically feel pretty good going into this offseason. Now, I know everyone says that, but uh, but that – Number one, that, that matters a lot right now just because you know, they, they hope to have an, an offseason where, you know, where they are not in uh, a situation where they're, you know, they're having to recover or rehab or have surgery, which Quentin Nelson has done a couple times in recent years. Um, so they, they feel like that positions them to kind of have a better offseason and, and going into next offseason in a better position to succeed. The other thing I would say is I, I did have a chat with Gardner Minshew. Uh, we know he's a free agent this coming off season. Um, so I, I will have a story on this at some point, but basically the, the big takeaway I thought was that he, you know, he, he he's not going to obsess over what happens next. You know, he, he doesn't want to do that and isn't ruling out anything right now. Um, he's going to kind of let this play out and, and see what happens. So, um, he didn't commit to coming back or not coming back or looking for a starting job elsewhere. You know, he, he really was very nonspecific, but that was intentional. He wants to kind of let things play out. And his point was, you know, I kind of let, I, I kind of just uh, last year, he said the way, I, the way he approached it, it ended up, he didn't know at the time. He says, I ended up in the best place. And it was Indy. Now, unfortunate circumstances created that situation where Richardson got hurt, but ultimately on a personal level, it worked out for Gardner Minshew. So, you know, I think it, it, there was a lesson learned there was to kind of just, you know, let things play out and, uh, you know, it'll work out for the best. 
By the way, Stephen, right now, while you were talking, Eddie, go ahead and hit it. Uh, this breaking news, Stephen Holder on X, also known as Twitter, from Jim Ursay. Quote, on the mend, grateful for all the messages of love and support. End I quote. see that. Stephen, yeah. your reaction? Uh, I, 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 it's hard to know what it all means. I hope that's the case. Um I don't know. I think it's hard to it's hard to to know exactly what it means without any follow up details or any additional details. Um, I'll be happy. I'll be interested, I should say, to learn more about what we're talking about here. Um, It's the first semi positive thing we've heard in I think about a month. That's a long time, very long time. And I will say this too: as of my last you know, real conversations with people about his circumstance, I would say within the last 10 days or so, um, there was not any positive news at that point. So this is, this is definitely much different than, than everything I've heard um, very recently. And even more recently, I should say than the last 10 days, there, there was another conversation that, that we at ESPN have had more recently that that was very concerning uh, so this is good. This is good. Do, do you believe, Stephen, and, and look, feel free to decline, right, when I ask mm-hmm. a question and just say it, but do you think that that tweet came from Jim Irsay? I don't know. I really don't. I, I, I cannot answer that question. Um, let me put it this way. Uh, are there are there other people with access to his Twitter account? Yes. That's all I can say. I, I don't know the answer beyond that. Um, with that, Stephen, and I want to kind of tread lightly to protect, I guess, both of us, right? I mean, I'm not trying to put you in a mm-hmm. bad spot, but I, I, but I think now that that's out there, we, we can shed light here yeah. and, uh, and I will let you either put as much sprinkle on top of this as you'd like, or simply pass the dish on to the, you know, and we'll move on. But like most of us in Indianapolis, we have, and I don't want to speak for you, Stephen, but I know that I have heard countless numbers of rumors from worst-case scenario to not as bad, but more often than not, the rumors about Jim Mersey have been of very bad scenarios about his health and his status and his condition, I guess is the best way of saying it. Correct. And there was never anything to refute those reports including from i mean i can speak for myself just in in talking to people from the colts while they were not defiant by any stretch of the imagination they didn't confirm nor deny the the situations that were floating around the city of indianapolis and the one thing that i had recently heard was that he was in fact in very dangerous territory but it was dangerous territory that was the result of a practice or a procedure done for him that was medically observed and therefore the situation wasn't as dire as one would assume because it was under watchful eye the entire time that's all pretty vague i realize with hipaa it becomes more and more difficult and there is also obviously the understanding and the respect of one's personal medical situation. Um, but 
to your point, that is probably the first leak or sign or glimpse of positivity that we have gotten probably since just before Christmas. Would you agree with all of that? Yeah, I absolutely. I, and I, I would also say, you know, without going further than I should, I'll just say uh, that there have been varying degrees of, of, I don't even think rumor is the right word because I think some of this is people in position to know. And, and those are not, those are, there may be, they may be classified as rumors, but there's also some, some actual knowledge behind some of what has been said too. You know what I mean? It's not like just the, some of this, there's the telephone game, right? That does happen in, in my business. And, and you know how that goes, right? We, we get a lot of that. That's why we don't repeat a majority of the things that we hear because we don't know who said to who, what, and, and if we're just, you know, hearsay and all that, right? However, um, people in position to have some idea of what is happening, none of those people have expressed anything of a positive, uh, of, of a positive variety about what was happening with him. And in fact, as you said, uh, I had heard some very, very, very concerning things about Jim Ursay's health. Um, Without, you know, without going into specifics, because I don't know if the specifics are true. I'm just telling you and broadly, I heard some very concerning things. And I hope none of them are true. But I also know that there was a great level, a great deal of concern about his health from, from the parties uh, who actually know the details. Let's put it that way. Um, you know, they, they may not have shared all those details, but I know enough to know there was great. There was great concern, and has been great concern about him. Uh, doesn't mean this is going to end in in some sort of unfortunate way. All I'm saying is um, that part is true. So hopefully, this is a turn in the opposite direction. Yes, I, I know this. I know this is very confusing. I'm sure for people listening out there, it's just a really it's just a really difficult thing to discuss because you know we we just we don't want to ever speculate about someone's medical condition. This is a wildly irresponsible thing to do, right? But we can we can say that there's concern about someone without getting into like, well, he's got this or he's got that happening and this is happening because that's irresponsible. But I do think it's it's fair to say there has been great concern about his, his status, yes. Well, yeah, I mean, and for those that don't know, there's layers to doing your job as a journalist and a reporter and not being reckless and confirming things, especially when it comes to somebody's health. So I, th- I think we get that. I appreciate right. the the you know open transparency there with that, Stephen, and mm-hmm. I, I think the listening audience does too. When you look at his, in a normal year for the Colts, they could hold a press conference at any point in time. But if we're zooming out and looking at where this thing trends and when we might hear from the Colts again, would that be the lead-up to the combine? Is that the, the lead-up to the draft? Like, what would be the next availability set up in your mind that was not, hey, there's a press conference going on at West 56th. Right. So I've asked that question. Um, and the answer I got was basically don't sit by the phone. <laughs> but um, I don't know if, if maybe there has been a change in his status. If, there, if there's a change in his status, then that could change that answer, right? The answer that I previously got. But I don't know. We, that's, that's what we don't know. That's the hard part, and that's what we don't know. Um, so all we can do is speculate. I, I really don't know. Okay. But, but, but yes, I, I, I understand the question. Um, I think I would say this. The next time we have access 
uh, on the record access to Colts officials would be the combine. Um, you know, and that would be Shane Steichen and Chris Ballard. Uh, beyond that, you know, that's up to the team if there's anything more than that. Okay, Stephen, let me let me throw something that somebody just sent to me. If it's dangerously speculative, uh, again, feel free to say that's dangerously speculative, Jake. Let's move on, okay? But I think it's a mm-hmm. really interesting point that somebody just texted me. Roger Goodell does his annual State of the NFL press conference at the Super Bowl tomorrow. That tweet gives him the cover if he is asked about Jim Irsay. So, actually, I, I, I'm pretty sure Goodell talked yesterday. I think he talked yesterday. Was it yesterday? Um, I, I, that, was, that was my understanding. I believe he talked yesterday. So, I did wonder, though, I did wonder if he would be asked, and, and I, I'm, I presume he was not asked. I did not hear. Um, I did not it hear was any, yesterday. You are correct. It was yeah. yesterday. My apologies. Yeah. No, no, it's not, it's, norm, it's not normally on Monday, though, of Super Bowl week. So the, the premise is not wrong. Uh, the premise of that point, is, or that comment is not wrong. Um, but this year they did it on a different day. It is typically around Wednesday. So that actually was an actual good assumption on that person's part. And the, the league owners meeting is when? Uh, scheduled for uh, the last week of March in Orlando, so we got a little way to go. And that would be, but that would be the first time that there would be like an obligatory thing where Jim Irsay typically in a yeah. season would be present or out front. Correct? Y- yeah, correct. Um, there was actually a, a, they have also periodic meetings. Now the annual quote unquote annual meeting, which we refer to as the owners' meetings, that is the spring meeting that we're discussing now. They also have periodic meetings all the time, like every few months. Uh, the last one, I believe, was in, um, in early December. Um, and we had heard some things about maybe how, how he was doing. And I actually had colleagues who were at those meetings look for Jim Irsay and did not see him um, on, on the basis of, of having heard that maybe something was wrong with him. Never saw him, so I think he's. I think he also missed that one, and we all we know now. Obviously, that coincided uh, with uh, the event that's already been reported. The uh, apparent, we think, um, overdose that happened at his home in, in early December. Stephen Holder's our guest from ESPN. Um, so, Stephen, I guess the next question before we move on from this subject again, if you're just joining us, Jim Mercy's Twitter account tweeting that he is on the mend. Uh, I don't have it in front of me, but that's the the core of what it said. Um, Thank you for all the love and prayers, essentially, is what it said. Um, Journalistically speaking, Stephen, this means that we progress in terms of the coverage or the storyline of Jim Mercer's health in what way, or does it? I I think if, if, if they want to... This is not the priority, okay? The priority is him getting better, right? But, but if, if, if the family and the team want to truly, um, you know, sort of, I don't want to say put it to rest, but, but you know, sort of give people the, the ability to kind of stand down and, and exhale, I, I do think you have to kind of give a little – specifics as to what's going on maybe answer some questions i i think you need to do more than 
that tweet is probably not quite enough. It probably helps. It's probably not enough, though. Now, again, they can they can handle this however they wish. It is totally reasonable to to handle this uh, from the standpoint of well, we want privacy, um, respect our privacy, like all that. That's totally fine. All I'm saying is um, it may or may not be enough to uh, it may it may or may not be enough to. Yeah, you know, to, to, to call the dogs off, I guess, you know, not to be flippant, but I hope that makes sense. Stephen Holder, our guest, ESPN.com. Uh, Stephen, one of those subject matters that we're going to talk a lot about, and, and listen, it's probably broken record, I realize. Do you envision any scenario where Michael Pittman is not retained by Indianapolis? Um, yeah, I mean, the scenario would be that it was just a an absolute – um, disaster of a negotiation and they just can't come to terms or something like that. But even then, even then, I presume they'd franchise him. So the odds of Michael Pittman not being here in 2024, my estimation, are pretty minimal, I think. Is there um, anything that they could have learned from the Jonathan Taylor saga or is that more chalked up to Jonathan Taylor's representation? No, I don't think Jonathan's. I don't think Taylor's representation really uh, had anything to do with it. I mean, I think ultimately what these things really come down to is I've I've said this a number of times, and it is hard to to remember sometimes because players sometimes take the backseat and the agents, you know, end up you know being willing to be the bad guy, but ultimately agents work for players. They absolutely work for the player. And in that particular instance, Jonathan Taylor was absolutely uh, fully on board with everything that was said and done, 100%. You know, nothing happened without his understanding, his knowledge, his approval, et cetera, 100%. I know that because I talked to Jonathan Taylor throughout that process, whether people realize that or not, <laughs> right? So and I say source, I ain't screwing around. If I say source, trust me, the source is – Probably someone very, very close to the person, if not the person themselves. Anyway, now, as it relates to Michael Pittman, I think the same kind of applies here. Like, Michael Pittman is very smart. He is very attuned to this stuff. Second-generation NFL player. He gets the business. He knows everything. He understands the cap. Like, this guy gets it. I don't know if he was a business major but he understands this stuff, and he is very in tune with with how this process is going to work. Um, so I, I, you know, I think whatever happens, it won't be about representation. It won't be about any of that. I, I think you're going to have. But I also think the other thing I'd say, though, that I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, right? It's that might sound like a guy who's going to be a hard negotiator, who's going to maybe put you through the ringer in terms of what he wants and and how. I would actually argue, Michael Pittman is the type of player you might actually want to negotiate with or prefer to negotiate with. And here is why, because for him, it is somewhat emotional, certainly, right? Because you're talking about your money at the same time, he understands the business of it. So it's a little less emotional. Sometimes these things get very emotional for players and I get it. I uh, absolutely, I absolutely get it. For Michael Pittman, he's very pragmatic. He understands, like, okay, they're going to do this, and this is why, and I get it, and it's fine. Like, he gets it. He understands it. And so 
he's not going into this thing expecting them to roll out a red carpet and it's going to be all flowers and dandelions. No, he, I mean, he, he gets it. He understands that, all right, this is going to be a situation where it's, you know, acrimonious and it is what it is. Right. And, and I actually think I prefer, I might prefer as an organization to deal with a player like that because it's business. Stephen Holder is our guest. Stephen, um, quick question having nothing to do with this subject matter. Um, did you ever did you ever get into Tracy Chapman's music? I wouldn't say get into, but familiar with it, respect it, and uh, for certain, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, familiar with it, I would say, uh, to some degree. But did you see the performance from the Grammys from Monday night? I saw or Sunday night, it Sunday afterward. night, not live, but did see. Yeah, I've seen it since. Yes, um, I just thought it was a super cool moment, and and I think mm-hmm. that Tracy Chapman is one of those performers that I don't know. I think people outside the realm of Tracy Chapman's like life and mo can learn a lot about the life and mo of other people by listening to or doing a deep dive on her music. And I think we don't do enough of that. And that's a totally random thought out of left field. But at the same time, it allowed us to not have to talk about contracts with Michael Pittman for a few minutes. But does that make sense, though? No, it does. It does. Absolutely does. I um, I mean, I'm perfectly happy to talk about Michael Pittman, but I'm actually fine changing the subject, too, if you want. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. I do get it, though. I do get where you're, where you're going with that. Um, so that song is the only one by her, you know, though, right? Or, or give me, give me one reason would be the no, other one, I'm right? Not, I, can, I, it, I can't say like, I should, I think it's one of those things. This is, I don't know what this says about me, but it's, it, she's one of those artists. Like if I hear the song, I probably know the song, but I don't right. know it. Does that make sense? Well, the thing I think's odd about her is she, and I mean this in a good way towards her, but Tracy Chapman to me was always fascinating because she was like this like kind of next level like in this this high aura of musicians of like not legendary status but close to it but yet i've never met anybody that's like a diehard fan of tracy chapman right and like mm, she, she hasn't toured yeah. in 15 years but everybody everyone endures. knows of her though yeah, right she just endures and she's just she's still there just keeps keeps kicking that's a, actually a very good point right like is is there a a Tracy Chapman like fan club on Reddit? You know, is there is there a board like what do they call that subreddit? Totally, I, she Tracy hasn't toured in fifteen years, Probably right? <laughs> you know, um, no, you're right. You're absolutely right. And and also like, no one like doesn't like her, right? You know, like who doesn't like her? Even if you're not a fan, if you don't know her music, you're like, oh yeah, she's cool. You know. So, I, I mean, that probably says something about you. That means you cross, you cross all kinds of boundaries. You cross social boundaries. You cross racial boundaries. You're crossing um, genre. Well, that moment did exactly boundaries. that, right? Because you got a guy that's a country singer that grew up in the country yep. realm and had a great respect for her, and then she comes out, and the two of them, and the song itself is about you know somebody trying to overcome out of poverty and getting sucked back into the cycle. I just right. thought it was, you know what I mean? It was a pretty poignant moment. Um, yeah, and I think hey, listen. I wish I wish we had more of those sort of you know boundary breaking type situations in our our society today. We might be better off for it, to be honest with you. Hey, Stephen, I don't know where things stand with this, and so my apologies because I'm probably going to. I probably should have looked this up. Um, 
But in terms of, you know, we now know, and, and I don't know if it was you or one of your colleagues at ESPN that had the the story about uh, Isaiah Rogers in terms of yeah. his suspension. Outside the lines. What's that? It was outside the lines, yeah. 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 Now, was yeah. – and I apologize for asking this. Was he officially released by the Colts or was he simply on suspension and therefore no release would have taken place yet? No, no. He he was released and actually is technically under contract with the Eagles who signed him. Now, he was he's still suspended is why you haven't – why that's not as clear. So you can be you can sign a contract you can you can be cut you can sign a contract all while you are suspended and that's what happened with him so the Colts released him after the suspension was handed down um, he he was then uh, at some point not immediately but later on uh, sometime later was was signed by the Eagles um, presumably they haven't paid him a dime because he's he's suspended so. He's on paper a member of the Philadelphia Eagles, um, but he'll still have to go to training camp and make the team and all of those things. Um, so none of that is is a certainty, but he has a place to go come come August at least. Steven, you covered the Pro Bowl. For you, the game, I think we can all agree, not great. But the skills, the mini games, I enjoyed those a ton. Jake laughed at me. Are you an ally? Are you an enemy to me there? That they were, they were fun for what they were. I, I enjoyed the skills games. Listen, I want to tell you something, man. Look, I get it. The whole thing is a complete, like, somewhat of a mockery. I get it. I, I, I get it, right? But first of all, this is completely harmless, okay? It's such a harmless thing. I was in that stadium on Sunday. Well, there were skills Thursday night. That's not open to the public. They did have like some boys and girls clubs there and stuff, you know, and some of the, the local fo- local high school teams came and like they were into it. Like the players interacted with them and it was kind of cool. Like I would, if I was those kids, I would have absolutely had the time of my life. And then I went to the stadium on Sunday for the actual game. First of all, there are 50,000 people there. And I'm like, why? Some of whom came from like long distance. People paid money. I was stunned at how packed that yeah. stadium was. But whatever. Okay, so that's the thing. Now, now here's that's the reality. Now, here's the thing: they're doing the uh, the move to change thing, wasn't it? Maybe I, like the the sort of obstacle course relay race thing they did, which I'm not gonna lie, it was kind of fun. It was like it was like two minutes long, and like you're kind of into it. It was it was actually fun, and the the stadium is roaring. I get it. It's the most ridiculous thing. I get it. I'm sitting there like, man. I've been doing this for 25 years, and this is what it led me to. But, uh, <laughs> but I was said to my colleague sitting next to me, I said, you know what? If I had kids that were, like, young and, like, were into the NFL, like, I would bring them to this. It would actually it'd be a good, fun afternoon. And that's what people did. They brought their kids. They had a good time. And it's, like, good, harmless fun. The players actually, like, were into it. At the end, you know, um, they don't want to lose, even if there's nothing on the line. And there was, I guess, $80,000 on the line apiece, which is not nothing. So I say this, look, it, it, it really doesn't, there's no downside to doing it, I guess is what I'm saying. You know, there's literally no downside to doing it. Um, at least guys are showing up now and they're not like making a joke out of the game by, by not even trying like they did with the tackle version. So, so anyway, I say, 
let's just do it, and it's harmless, and there's no reason not to. Yeah, I can't tell if you're an ally or not, but at the very least, you didn't laugh, and I'm a child at heart. He's Stephen Holder, <laughs> covers the Colts for ESPN. You can follow him on Twitter, at Holder Stephen. Always appreciate catching up. We'll talk to you next week. All right, guys. See you.